welcome to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. It is July 8th, 2019, 10.31 a.m., which you may recognize as uh, pretty much right about when this episode should be releasing into the wild. So the fact that I'm recording it right now shows a little bit of sort of where my headspace is at. Hi, it's uh, it's summer. It's hot. I just turned the AC off so I could record this gosh darned podcast, and uh, it's already a little, little toasty in this room here, and it's only going to get more so over the course of the next hour or so. So uh, I just starting off today with, with you putting this podcast on while you're driving to work or you're um, running on your exercise bicycle or you're lifting uh, weighted balls. There's a dog, sorry, there's a dog sitting in my room. We're babysitting. Uh, I guess this dog just lives here now. Um, this is my roommate's mom's dog. Uh, this dog fucking loves me and I don't know if I have an opinion on the dog. Dog's all right. It's an okay dog. Um, A little small, kind of ugly, a little weird. Sweet, though. But this dog fucking loves me and won't leave me alone. Uh, And so we'll just sit beside me at all times. And so as I started recording this podcast, the dog was asleep. And then as soon as she heard my voice, looked up at me and just started licking her lips. So if you hear interminable mouse sounds while I'm talking, like somebody trying to do the worst impression of somebody doing like gross mouth sounds uh, at a time when I could not have been doing them, blame it on the fucking dog. Yeah, that's right, I'm talking about you. Anyway, while you're listening to this, uh, doing other things, important business things that you're doing while you're also listening to podcasts, uh, I just want you to appreciate the amount of work that I'm putting into this, the the sort of effort that I put in, uh, the sacrifices that I make for your disposable entertainment. I'm sitting here mildly uncomfortable. I mean, it's a cloudy day. It's not that hot outside. It's going to get hotter, but it's it, it's not. I mean, it's like 90, maybe maybe 85. I don't know. I don't know what the temperature is. I'm not going to look it up. What am I? Some sort of weather person? Uh. But, you know, I'm, I'm sacrificing. I'm putting my life on the line here, people. What am I doing? Hi, this is the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm Sarah. So, uh, yeah, what's what are we talking about today? So most of you probably know that I also do a YouTube channel. Uh, maybe you don't because it's been a while since I've done a video. I, um, yeah, it's it's been about, it's been over two months since I released a video and I'm feeling really shitty about it. I'm actually partially recording this podcast because I, I, so gosh, I'm all over the place already. So I have diagnosed ADHD and bipolar too, um, along with, you know, being trans. So I, uh, uh, I was treated for that for a while and I had the uh, very fun realization that like looking back over uh, this this really productive period that I had with my YouTube channel over the last year or so, uh, thinking like why haven't I been able to put anything out in the last three months? Like what 
what's gone on. Like I've moved into a new place. It's supposed to be much better, uh, like a better like production situation sort of thing. While it's getting in the way, and uh, I just put it together, kind of silly. What? Foolishly realizing that the common denominator is, uh, you know, I I did my transitioning video and the McElroy video and the ContraPoints video and so many other things over the last year or so. Um, And I was able to do those because I was properly fucking medicated. And for as much as I was able to get more work done uh, through like coming out and transitioning and like finding myself and all of that, you know, self-help bullshit. <laughs> I, a lot of it was just the fact that I didn't, I don't, I don't, I, I had medication. I was able to focus and I'm back in the spot where I'm really struggling to get anything done. I mean, I'm literally recording this episode of the podcast. I'm going to immediately put it on my computer uh, edit out the silences and all the ums and uhs, except probably the one that I just did. And I'm going to post it post-haste, post-haste posting. And that I should, I should have this, I should have had this episode recorded like four days ago and uploaded and ready to go. And I am now friends with a lot of podcasters and I know that recording your episode the day that it goes up is not an uncommon practice but like i i still this this the whole point not the whole point a point of this podcast in terms of format is that it's it's meant to be relatively simple to execute therefore it doesn't require so much work so it's not as much of a cognitive load so i can do it without being too terribly distracted from the rest of the shit that I'm doing. Uh, but I'm not doing any other shit, and I'm barely doing this, <laughs> which is really uh, messed up. So I actually did an, a, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, hit me, what, what's the crowdfunding? It's not Indiegogo, Fun, GoFundMe, there it is, Jesus. I thought, go hit me up? What, that's not right. That sounds like a bad dating service. I did a GoFundMe for uh, basically to go see a, a ADHD clinic and because uh, they're expensive and I don't have insurance because I'm self-fucking-employed I couldn't afford to, to do that like I found one that was relatively close by uh, that seems pretty reputable uh, although there, I haven't been able to figure out a great way to sort of vet these places. I'm just sort of going based on hope that it's the right. But uh, I, uh, I, I'm i going to call them. I've, I've called them a bunch of times, actually. I called them a lot on Thursday of last week the, to uh, like try to set up. And, and there was a whole Twitter thread I did about it. It was a whole moment. Hashtag blessed. And I just uh, I called and the line was busy. And then I called and they asked for a message. Like it went to a voicemail. So I hung up and I called again and I left a voicemail. And they called me back on Friday and I didn't pick up and they left a message. And it was uh, basically saying, hey, you want to come to get me? Whatever. So I, met, I called them this morning and the line was busy again. So 
I'm going to call them again after I'm done recording this, and then I'm going to just keep calling until I get through. And hopefully I'll be able to set up an appointment to get in, to get ADHD meds, and then I'll be medicated again, and I'll be able to work on shit again. Ugh. Um, that's sort of where I'm at uh, professionally. You know, I've been back on HRT for a little over a month now. I am feeling so much better in that regard. It's interesting seeing the different ways that my medications like interlocked to uh, make it all work, I guess. Like seeing, I, I basically, I have my bipolar treatment, I have my ADHD treatment, and I have my HRT. And each one of them contributes a different piece of the pie where you're sort of what's let's 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 follow this analogy so adhd is like the filling of the pie where it's like without 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 my adhd meds it's like it can be either like really mm, you know nice tasty sick pie uh or it's like unfocused and scattered like a pie that isn't maybe the ADHD meds is like the pan that the pie is in and the bipolar medication is the what would it be would it be I guess would it be the crust or the filling I think I think the I think I think it would be the filling because I think the uh HRT would be the 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 crust because for my period of time when I was off HRT I was moody, I felt angry all the time, and I just felt kind of sick and gross and bad and like sweaty and greasy. <laughs> I didn't like it, it wasn't good. And it's been nice being back on HRT and uh, realizing like, oh, I, I part of my temperate mood that I have now is because of the HRT, which is really nice. It's interesting because I remember feeling like HRT I wanted it to like solve me. I think if when you're in the pre-transition phase of doing a lot of research and just, you know, hoping like basically building up a dossier of cases to prove that you are allowed to have hope for the future, you you read a lot of people's accounts of like, "Oh, it fixed me. It did it, it saved me. HRT saved me." That's for all of you bad advertising fans out there. I um, I don't know. I I, I f- felt disappointed for a little while that HRT still didn't fix like it didn't fix my behavioral problems. It definitely didn't fix my ADHD. And now I am uh, in the spot where I've kind of come back around though, where I was off for a little while. Now I'm back on, and it's like. No, it didn't solve like my bad habits because that's just a thing that I have to build new habits around. Uh, good advice that I need to just take. I need to work on building better habits. I spend way too much of my time on Twitter. I it didn't fix my mood disorder, but it does help. Like it's a big part of the puzzle. I don't know that the other medications would have worked without. Uh, without the HRT because so much of my mood is has been like I said tempered I guess by HRT by feel I feel more calm 
I don't know, I feel a little bit more peaceful, which is weird because, you know, second puberty, you're supposed to be like all over the place emotionally. And I guess I, there's a part of me that's worried I'm avoiding extreme emotion because I am a little bit more sensitive these days. But I don't know how true that is. But at the same time, I don't know, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better. I am feeling more mature. Uh, I'm able to have really complicated conversations with my girlfriend about the nature of our relationship and not necessarily worry like, oh, does this mean we're breaking up? Which is not a thing that's happening. Um, wow, the, the, phrase, the phrasing of that sentence, when you hear that, it's like, uh-oh, is there trouble in paradise? No, there's not. We're adults uh, who... who <clears throat> Every relationship has issues. I've never met a couple that didn't have issues. Uh, my brother and his wife uh, fight relatively frequently, but it's always sort of amicable. I don't know. Uh, but they also have three fucking children. So, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> but uh, this is this is a weird sort of digression because it feels like I'm just digging a grave in terms of people having worries about my relationship. Y'all don't worry. Get out of here. Um, what you should have worry for is my mental health because that's sort of... The conversations that me and Molly have had lately have been a lot informed by the fact that I've just been absent from myself because I've kind of disassociated again um, and I'm trying to, to set back from that and I raised enough money to be able to afford to go to the ADHD clinic and hopefully I'll have medication soon hopefully I'll have an appointment this week and I'll get and since I have an official diagnosis hopefully I'll get medication this week which would be really gosh dang nice but it's amazing even though HRT has huge impacts on my mood and my perception and feeling relatively okay in my body like it doesn't my my disassociation isn't just biology there's it's such a complicated thing and i think that this is part of why it's important that everybody who is seeking treatment of any kind has to be open to the possibility of having a false positive in terms of diagnosis or having the thing is like so many of these mental disabilities are comorbid with each other like ADHD and borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder all have on the checklist of uh, of uh, symptoms have a pretty large shared portion of, of the column. So it's hard to diagnose which one is which. But especially in the United States where you can't afford a doctor, you can't afford to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, you kind of rely on WebMD. And I see a lot of people laying into folks who are re over-reliant on WebMD and like self-diagnosing, but it's that's not really, that's a symptom 
of a larger problem. And the problem is that nobody can afford to see a fucking doctor because our healthcare system is absolutely bananas. It's just clown shoes, bonkers, buck wild nonsense bullshit. And we need Medicare for all. Anyway, uh, it's easy to when you're in this situation of like looking at symptoms and seeing like, oh, that sounds right. Uh, to to find a false positive, you know, I thought that I had, I got, I guess I got lucky because I suspected I might have ADHD for a long time, and then I got an official diagnosis. But even the the diagnosis that I got was subjective, and I've told this story a bunch of times, maybe twice, not a bunch of times, on uh, the podcast. But I'll tell it again because maybe you haven't heard it. Uh, maybe you're a newer listener, so I. Took when I was a student uh, two years ago, I took a, a learning disability test, which is basically like a barrage of different tests to see: Do you have ADHD? Do you have uh, uh, perhaps autism or some other like disability that makes it hard for you to focus in class, so that you need some sort of accommodation? Uh, it's like it's an expensive series of tests. I think it cost me like five hundred bucks at the time. And uh, that was the student rate. Uh, getting it privately cost even more. It's and it was like five hours, something like that. Uh, that that was spread across a few weeks. And the results that I got basically said, "You have major depression," and that's it. Sorry, whoopsie doodle. And uh, at that point, the psychiatrist that I had at the time. I was like, well, since you don't have an ADHD diagnosis, I can't keep prescribing you your meds because of dumb reasons. So flash forward a year, and I was at, uh, I just, maybe maybe it was, was it? I can't remember how what the time frame was. It doesn't matter. Uh, flash forward a certain length of time, I was back in school, and I took a, um, I, was, I was seeing a new psychi- psychologist, and he was excellent and I miss him a lot actually he uh, he was a grad student or a PhD candidate I believe uh, who is that's who a lot of the pool of psychologists are at uh, universities as PhD candidates and I've had a lot of hit or miss luck but this guy was absolutely incredible like a perfect fit for me to the point that I didn't see anybody else after him because it was like, ah, I just, I don't, you know, nobody's going to have the same rapport. And I only had a semester left anyway. <laughs> but I, uh, we we were talking and I brought up the fact that I had done that test and that I, uh, that it came away with like, sorry, you just have major depression, which is like the worst death sentence you can get. And uh, he was surprised because my, th- that test wasn't in my profile, I guess. Uh, so he looked it up uh, after our session and brought it up to me the next time and said, hey, so I looked up your test and I disagree with the results. Or I disagree with the analysis of the results. And basically said that he had talked to his, like the head of the, the department at, at, the, at the university to see like, you know, I disagree with the interpretation of these results. I want to re-administer the test, and the the head of the department agreed. So, this new psycho- psychologist, uh, Daniel, we'll just call him Daniel. He re-administered the test for me, 
free of charge, amazingly. And then Daniel ran through the results and we compared the results and they were like the same, uh, basically the same results. I think some of the numbers were a little bit higher in the second one, but basically one of the barrage of tests was uh, an elaborate IQ test that that uh, measures four separate columns of uh, intelligence, I guess, different kinds of like uh, of, of intelligence. So, if if you imagine like SAT, ACT tests, like you have your reading comprehension versus um, logic versus math or whatever, something like, it's comparable to that. And the way that they diagnose something like ADHD is the, the ratio of um, uh, these these four columns to each other. So like two are lower, two are higher. Uh, and so he pointed at it and says, okay, what we're looking for in an ADHD diagnosis is this particular form of IQ is this percentile lower than this other one. And that's indicative. I mean, he sort of explained it all to me. And I had told him that I enjoy hearing about the, the more mundane aspects of the, the psychology uh, that that informs these diagnoses. So he explained it to me in depth. Uh, and of course, I barely remember it. But I, he said, like, part of the reason why they misdiagnosed me the first time is that the way that the, the this like ratio thing is taught is that it's like the level where you say you you want to see uh, this IQ column below a certain line and this IQ column above a certain line uh, and he said like so you are above that line but your the ratio of the difference is identical to like is what we would expect from an ADHD diagnosis so it was a situation where the original psychologist wasn't necessarily wrong. She just didn't quite like she 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 underst she maybe understood the rule of this is how you diagnose ADHD, but didn't wasn't able to apply it to somebody who doesn't fit the expected. Um, the, the expected, I guess, like performance of somebody with ADHD. Because we all have different coping mechanisms and we all have so many different like homorbid disorders. And sometimes we just develop weird ways of weird behaviors regardless of any aspect of, of uh, how our actual like brain chemistry works. So... Uh, you know, I'm 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 pretty sure I grew up, or I, I'm pretty sure I fall pretty far somewhere on the autism spectrum. But at this point, there's no way really to diagnose that because I am 90% coping mechanism at this point, and that's the problem. Is that you? It, it it's it's messy. It's not like an illness where you have very specific biological traits. This is a complex mix of biological and sociological and psychological and emotional, uh, all, all sorts of dumb little things. And like being on HRT is, is, a, is a big factor to how I'm able to go through the world. And so, I don't know. Um, 
where was I going with this? What was I even fucking talking about? Uh, the point that I wanted to make was that uh, getting that diagnosis, well, first of all, just getting that diagnosis was a huge help for me. And another psychiatrist might disagree with that interpretation of the information, which tells you a lot about how psychiatry in general is not necessarily as much of a hard science as we would hope that it is. It's actually a lot of guesswork. And the result of that is that inherently finding a treatment that works for you involves a lot of guesswork. And anybody who insists that they're 100% sure of most things is probably full of shit and you shouldn't listen to them. I guess I've just been thinking a lot about the intersection of my personality and my my ongoing trouble with being a functioning adult and, and um, not being medicated, barely being able to afford medication. You know, I had to I had to go e-begging in order to afford going to the psych, psych, psych clinic. Jesus. And I'm just sort of crossing my fingers that I'll be able to afford the medications that I need. Um, and that I'll get... A, I, there's so many, like... I don't even know if this psych, psychiatrist that I see is going to accept the fact that I already have a diagnosis and that I have a proven course of successful treatment. Like I'm, I'm gonna bring the med, the the bottles of my old meds with me and be like, this is what I had. This worked, and I was on it for a year, and I it was it was great. I still had a lot of behavioral problems, but those were personal. <laughs> and like, this is the thing: is that no medication is going to be the silver bullet that fixes you. HRT is not going to suddenly make your life, uh, like make you a functioning person. It is. It, it chances are it's going to make your life a lot better, and AD, if you have ADHD, getting medications for that will make your life a lot better. All of these things like are improvements, but there are also core behavioral issues at play that you still have to deal with, and like my habits, I still haven't dealt with, and that's some shit. That's really the root problem, and the medications help quite a bit but at the end of the day the fact that I wake up in the morning and I open up Twitter and then I just spend hours on Twitter and then like watch YouTube videos and fuck around and I get hyper fixated on like plucking hair uh, on my body and I can lose a lot of time to that and that's a bad fucking habit right there too these things all contribute to my inability to get shit done it's not just medication the medication helps. If I were on medication, I'd be be better able to like kick these habits, um, and it would also help if I had somebody around to sort of like give me a slap across the face and be like, "Hey, quit doing that. Get back to work." Uh, incidentally, I'm going to be staying with my girlfriend Molly in Ireland uh, for like a full month sometime later this year. We're still figuring out when exactly due to a lot of extenuating circumstances. But I'm looking forward to that in part just because I've never lived with somebody before in close quarters like that, like sharing a bedroom, presumably. <clears throat> so I don't know how that's going to impact my like productivity. I generally feel like I'm not very good on my own. I, 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 need, I need people around who are plugged into my brain and able to sort of slap some sense into me so 
I'm very curious and excited and terrified to see how that sort of situation sort of goes. And that's me pinning my hopes on another person, which maybe isn't the healthiest way to go about it. And it's also me saying, like, it's okay, I don't have to worry about fixing my behavioral problems. I'll just wait until then. Like, I can just put it off and keep doing what I've been doing for the last 25 years of my life. I'm 30. I don't know why I picked 25. I don't know, y'all. There's, there, I feel so mature and good and like prepared and, and, and I don't know, part of, part of the world and like I'm successful. I've got 5,000 Twitter followers and 18,000 YouTube subscribers. My numbers are so high and yet I'm not happy in the inside. And like, I don't know, it's just, uh, yeah. We don't live in a world that facilitates living like a fucking human being. And we're all just trying to figure out how to make it work. And it's a goddamn nightmare. It's it's just... I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, um, I'm sure I had a point that I wanted to make more explicitly. But I didn't make it. Or maybe I did make it. Uh, I sort of just got lost in the weeds for a bit there, which I guess is kind of classic TQ content. Uh, T content? No. Trans content. I guess trans content with a Q instead of a C. Sure, that's fine. Another thing I wanted to talk about really quick, which we'll see if it's actually really quick, is um, my sort of non-binary feelings, which are an ongoing source of introspection and confusion. So I came out as genderqueer ages ago and I've come out as non-binary a couple of times. Like I've gone back and forth on it. And there's a part of me that's been conceptualizing like my 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 self-describing as non-binary, partially as a coping mechanism with the fact that I'm not gonna be able to pass anytime soon. And so there is this part of me that's like once I get HRTOS, once I get uh, laser on my face again, uh, once I have, I don't know, lost more weight and I've been on HRT longer, I will feel better uh, about self-describing as a woman and I'll be happy with she, her. But lately I've been wondering if that's the case and I've been going back to sort of the initial question from very early on in this in this podcast about what even is the goal? Like, do I want to be a woman? And I've never quite felt super comfortable with that. I'm, I'm closer to femininity than masculinity by a long stretch. But again, I feel sort of in the middle. I feel non-binary. And where I've been with that lately is I guess there were two things recently. Um, I've gained a bit of weight lately. Being off medications, part of one of the other intersections of being on medications was that I lost a lot of weight. I was able to stick to my diet consistently. I fell off of that uh, a while ago, and I've gained a little bit of weight. I'm still right around 200 pounds, but that's still like that's not. I want to. I, I need to be like 30, 40 pounds lighter. Um, I have the weight to lose, but uh, I 
as a result, like a lot of my clothes are, are skinnier clothes, I guess, at this point. So I've been like struggling to find more than one pair of pants that I like to wear or like bottoms that I can wear around the house during the day that aren't just leggings. And it's basically just leggings. And there's nothing wrong with leggings. I love them. But I uh, was was just wondering, like, where the fuck are all my clothes? And I don't know. So I, I uh, <clears throat> wanted to wear something else. So I got into my closet I have a collection of like dresses and things and I put one on that is relatively simple that I've liked in the past and I looked in the mirror and I just I hated it. I just I didn't like it at all. And this got me thinking about the fact that I'm consistently uncomfortable with more explicitly feminine clothes like dresses and skirts and things like that. And I enjoy them. I enjoy wearing them. But so well, so sort of. I mean, I, I don't. I guess I don't. Like, I feel. It feels performative. I don't know, and it might just be that I've just never worn skirts and dresses my whole life, and so they just feel alien. And eventually, I'll come to a point where they feel right. But I also have been thinking about the fact that, like, my ideal trans self is like a tomboy. You know. I do tend to prefer more like genderqueer expressions, like androgynous expressions of identity. I've been thinking about shaving one side of my head and doing the sort of like wild dyed dyed hair pixie cut thing. Um, I don't know. I like the ability... I like thinking that I could pull off a dress, but I don't want to be the person who wears dresses all the time. I don't know. I just don't feel, and I guess it's okay. Like, that's okay. The, 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 this is me struggling against expectations of what being a trans woman is. And, you know, I feel like just a trans person at this point. My, I've said for a while my pronouns are she, they. But yesterday, somebody commented on something that I was tagged in on Twitter and said a bit and referred to me with they as my pronoun and it was it was sarah's going to be really confused when they get back from seeing spider-man which i saw spider-man far from home yesterday and it was fine it was okay it was meh it's actually kind of a mess from a script perspective but we're not here to talk about that i read that tweet and felt like this weird churning this sudden like oh I like how that sounds. I like being referred to as they. That feels correct. So I'm leaning more and more into the non-binary thing as time goes on now, I guess, because that feels right to me. I don't know. I uh, So much of my internal struggle this last two years has been, what do I want to be and coming up against the fact that my entire life I've always been somebody who kind of comes out in favor of uh, avoiding categorization altogether and you know of course nothing can be simple with me and it's I don't know I'm still figuring out how I feel about this because it's I guess it's nice Partially, it feels like a cop-out, but it's also, there's a part of me that feels like 
it's a letdown to people who, I don't know, uh, look at me as a, I've, you know, I've gotten a lot of messages from people who've said that they started transitioning because of my videos or this podcast. And I, I know people look up to me as like an example trans woman. And for me to say, look, well, actually I'm non-binary and I don't, whatever. I reject, I reject traditional notions of femininity and masculinity. Is that, why do I feel like that's a cop-out? Why do I feel like that's letting people down? It's not. And it shouldn't matter if I'm letting people down in that regard, because i that's something that's important for me personally, for my own personal journey. I don't know. This stuff's complicated, y'all. Of course, it's just frustratingly complicated. But the upside is that I've been feeling a little bit better about my appearance, in part because I've been trying to internalize, like, no, I'm not binary. I don't have to look feminine. I, I still worry about passing, uh, but what do I pass as? Because for me, it's like, well, I would rather go into the women's room, but I worry about, I don't know. I don't know, y'all. I don't know. It's complicated. This is complicated. I need to get an NBA. I'm gonna. I'm uh sometime soon. I've got a bunch of interviews lined up that I need to actually do, and I've got a friend who is uh, also NB, and I want to have them on, and we're gonna talk about uh, NB stuff and asexuality more uh, on on their episode, and I think that'll be a good one. Uh, um. If you have further questions about non-binary stuff, you should, um, or thoughts or your own sort of suggestions, you can send me an email at transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com or send an anonymous question over at curiouscat.me slash transqpodcast. Is that right? I think that's right. The links are in the description of this episode. Anyway, I've got a few emails that I want to read, and I know I'm running short a little bit on time, but let's, before we do that, let's go to an ad break. I want to tell you about a couple of podcasts on the Lunar Light Studio Network. First is Mock Footage. We all have that friend who has somehow never seen any movies, and if you don't, then you probably are that friend. Either way, Mock Footage is for you. Every Thursday, Ray invents a plot summary for a movie he's never seen, and then Joe makes sure he doesn't miss any important details. They've covered such films as Independence Day, Remember the Titans, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, and It's a Wonderful Life. It's a really fun show. Ray and Joe are charming, wonderful people, and you can find... Mock footage on LunarLightStudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Next up is The Good Boys Girls, a fan podcast of the McElroy family of products hosted by actual real-life girlfriends Lily Blue and Haley Rose. The Good Boys Girls is your first stop into discovering or celebrating everyone's favorite content creators, the McElroy brothers. Each episode is a deep dive into one of their properties, such as... Well, let me remember what the McElroys do. Mabim Bam, uh, uh, Adventure Zone... Why can't I remember? I did a whole video about them. Such products as My Brother, My Brother and Me, Monster Factory, uh, and other McElroy podcasts. <laughs> Whoops. 
Anyway, you can find Good Boys Girls every other Friday on LunarLightStudio.com or wherever you get your podcast. So do you like this spot? Do you like this little ad zone that we have? Do you think maybe it would sound even better if I was talking about something related to you personally? Well, guess what? Mother Frienders? There's a thing on the Lunar Light Studio Network uh, called Incoming Transmissions where you can buy ad spots for your own personal messages. So for $25, you can buy a personal transmission such as a declaration of love or a sort of just shout out to friends. Or for $50, you can buy a business transmission, which is a thing where I will talk about your business or whatever, your podcast or whatever it might be. So you got like a YouTube show that you that's you reviewing artisanal covered uh, Japanese plastic poops. I don't know how you cover something with artisanals, but that's fine. You do you, YouTuber. Uh, there's a place for everybody's type of content. And you're just trying to get the word out. Well, for measly 50 bucks, I'll yak about your show in this very moment. Instead of yakking about, maybe yakking about your show, when you get, before you give me money. So give me your money. <laughs> oh, this is a bad one. Anyway, you can find more information about incoming transmissions at lunarlightstudio.com slash incoming dash transmission. And of course, the link is in the description. One last thing while we're still in the ad zone. The Trans Questioning Podcast is a weekly show. And that means that there's a lot of air that I have to fill talking about stuff, which is sort of literally my job as somebody who hosts a YouTube show called Let's Talk About Stuff. But sometimes I don't know what I want to talk about, and that potentially kind of contributes to where uh, why I'm recording this right before it has to go up. So if you have suggestions for what kinds of things you want to see as this podcast goes forward, do you want to see more structured research bits? Like, I'm going to do an episode on... Uh, I just immediately thought of autogynephilia. There's a ContraPoints video about that, and I wouldn't necessarily want to research that. But a topic. Like, this is an episode specifically about this thing, and the episode is me having done a little bit of research and giving a book report to you about it. Or is it a section about news, where I look at trans people in the news lately and discuss that? Uh, I want to hear your thoughts about what you want to hear from this podcast So if you have suggestions, tweet at me at TransQPodcast on Twitter, or send an email to TransQuestioningPodcast at gmail.com, or send an anonymous message over CuriousCat uh, at CuriousCat.me slash TransQuestioning. I look forward to hearing from you about this question, I guess. Thank you so much, as always. Uh, let's get back to the show. Why did I start doing into the end of the show? Whatever. Let's get back to the show. Read some emails. So this is an email that I don't know that I have much to say about, but I want to read it because I think it's important. 
So this is titled The One Water Level Everyone Hates Except It's Being in Trans in the Army. Hi, Sarah. I just want to start off by saying thank you for making the podcast. I'm only about halfway through, but it's been really nice listening to it. I'm writing to you to give my two cents about military service, or more specifically, what's before that, in Singapore as a non-binary trans feminine person. In Singapore, every AMAB person has to undergo national service for two years after they turn 18 and the year before they have to go for a medical screening as well as a physical test called the IPPT which is where I'm at at this point. Before the screening, you have to fill out a form with the question, do you wish to declare anything, e.g. homosexuality? And I decided to disclose that I was transgender, which led to a big fight I had with my mom. Surprisingly enough, all I got was one dude asking if I was taking anything for it, in quotes, big yikes, to which I said, no, I'm currently pre-everything at this point. That was five months ago now, and I still don't know what's going to happen regarding this, and it doesn't help that I'm currently sitting for a major national exam at the end of the year, which is a whole other issue. The worst part about this is that policy about LGBT people in the army is distressingly opaque, with first-hand accounts saying that if you disclose that you're trans feminine, you might get about a year to transition before being screened to see if you pass enough to be dismissed or be confined to desk work. There have been also accounts of trans girls who, despite otherwise passing completely, are forced to serve with men and stay in male barracks because they haven't undergone GRS, that's gender reassignment service. As for transmasculine people, there have also been varying accounts of being denied from serving to having to agree that the army is not responsible for any assault that happens during the service. It's an interesting situation to be in, facing a government that's more concerned about how they look to their conservative voter base than the actual safety and happiness of minorities. I hope that this didn't come off as too preachy, and thanks for taking the time to read this. Love, Ori. Thank you so much, Ori. That sounds like a nightmare, uh, psychologically, and I don't know how I would deal with that. I cannot even imagine, uh mandatory military service in that regard with, with transgender folks. Again, I don't think that I have much that I can say about this because there's so many cultural contingencies. I wish that I had somebody here who was more informed on the subject. I just wanted to share this email with you because I think it's an important bit of uh, context from another culture that is contributes to our understanding of what it's like being trans elsewhere in the world. So there you go. Uh, please email me back with updates about how this is going as things go, I guess, with you. Thank you so much, Ori, for your wonderful email. This next email is just titled Advice or Thoughts, and it goes, Hi, Sarah. My name is Taylor, and I'm a long-time listener and follower of your YouTube channel, and I'm also a 23-year-old recloseted trans woman. I came out to my friends last September. From there, I sought a therapist to talk to and scheduled an appointment to start the process of getting on hormones. I didn't get on hormones right away, complications that led me to take other meds in order to be fit to go back and get new blood work done this summer, but that was okay. I felt liberated, free, and happy with myself for the first time since pre-puberty. But as the months went by, I lost these feelings. I began to realize that while many said they supported me, their words were empty and in many cases false. I've lost a few friends that I had known for years. I've had some people, including my own father, tell me that they can't and won't accept any changes. And even my most supportive family only tolerated me. 
They wouldn't use my name throughout the process of me trying out names or pronouns. I used a them or she, her, but prefer she, her. My friends were the best support I had, and even then they treated me like I was a pane of glass, one strong wind from shattering into 1,000 tiny pieces. As time progressed, I saw a diminishing in the strength and bonds I had with pretty much everyone save one or two friends, which is uh, one of which is an online friend. On top of this, I have and had no LGBT friends, and one time I attempted to join a trans support group in my area, everyone was very exclusionist because I didn't present full-time and wasn't a paragon of femininity. Yeah, I feel that. So I feel suffocated by my friends and family who either don't want or grudgingly accept my transition on one side and a lack of support for my community on the other hand. I've tried online communities and trying to meet people IRL, but the Pittsburgh trans community does not seem to be very out and active from what I've experienced. Also, people online from what I've experienced seem to be in high school or even younger. I have not many, met many people my age, and those I have did not seem too keen to spark any sort of friendship. So my first question is, how would you navigate this lack of support? Because of this, I decided me being comfortable and stable in my relationships, which in turn means I uh, that I had to pander to people's expectations of my gender, was more important than my happiness and well-being. Long story short, I'm pretty sure I was wrong. I feel this terrible sense of loss, a hole in my being. I've always struggled to enjoy things I find good for me, especially if that goes against the tide of what's normal and accepted. So my second and final question to you is, how would you navigate my predicament? I completely get it. It's my story and we are two different people. I just think a perspective from another trans person might help me to look at my possibilities and decide what I need to do. Thank you for bearing through this rambling letter, Taylor. All right, Taylor. Wow. Ouch. I'm sorry that people are so fucking disappointing. And unfortunately, it's very common. I, I basically don't have IRL friends anymore. And the timing for me of coming out to them and kind of kind of cutting back into some of what I was talking about earlier this episode about the comorbidity of personality disorders um, and and stuff like this. I know a lot of my friends had to deal with. Um, uh, destructive behavior, not destructive, not destructive behavior, um, just sh shitty behavior on my part. Like I was unhealthy at the time. I wasn't doing great and I was doing, I was doing my best is the best I could say. And I think even your best friends can sometimes be like, well, I'm sort of just putting up with you and I'm, I'm doing my best and I've, you know, they'll support you through so many different things. Uh, and I've had friends who are like, Oh great, you're gay. Congratulations. Or oh great, you're asexual. Congratulations. Uh, g going through the cycle of like maybe this is the thing that's wrong with me, and then trying it out and it not working. I think there is such a large cultural misunderstanding of what it means to be trans that when you come out, especially at like kind of you know in your mid twenties or your late twenties, you run the risk of the cis people in your life sort of raising an eyebrow. And I just, I got the sense, and this was never stated to me explicitly, but I got the sense that some of my friends felt like, oh great, this is just another thing that Sarah's trying on and uh, it's not going to fix her. She's just whatever. And it's like, for some people, it's like one bridge too far and they don't understand what it's like to be transgender. And it's easy to say you support somebody you know, oh, congratulations, you're, you're new gen, whatever. But then 
how they behave after that is where the rubber meets the road. And unfortunately, a lot of cis people who have never had trans friends uh, or have never had a friend come out as trans and start transitioning don't know what that means or how to deal with it. And their, their coping mechanism is to just not think about it, which is bad. It's just not a great way to go about it. And because uh, you as a cis person have to reconsider your worldview in order to really, really internalize the existence of trans people and like be able to help them. Uh, but that's a separate conversation. And I kind of talked about that in my previous episode, which is a lecture I gave to a bunch of students. But uh, as far as navigating a lack of support, I mean, I think the thing is, you're not the only person in this situation by a long stretch of the imagination and or by any stretch. And I, I know you've tried to find communities and that feels defeating. Uh, but I refuse to believe that you've exhausted all the possibilities. Maybe in uh, IRL, maybe in terms of like local communities. Because I've been to LGBT groups and I know, yeah, they tend to be fairly uh, fairly clicky. And that blows by a lot. Uh, I think there are online communities that you can find that will be welcoming to you. It's just a matter of finding them, and that's always the hard part. And unfortunately, it's hard for me to give advice on that beyond just saying, like, keep looking, keep trying, don't give up. Because I try to think about people as existing somewhere along this bell curve and if you there's just statistically there's so many of us that if you are going through some kind of emotional reaction uh to a sociological situation chances are there are a bunch of other people in exactly the same or very very similar situations and there's there's communities for all kinds of people and different communities have a different character a different shape uh it's it's easy to find ones like there 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 are people there there are trans communities that love rupaul's drag race and make that like a centerpiece of gathering or whatever and i can't stand that shit and that's just not my place and i feel alien in in those conversations especially when i'm expected to to know something about rupaul's drag race but i also know that I'm not the only person who feels that way and I've found a community of people like that's not the anti-RuPaul's Drag Race community but it is people who have the same sort of perspective of like a more nuanced uh, take on gender that has less to do with like drag and stuff like that um, and part of that is that I've built one on my Discord server and uh, I would say that if you want an invitation to my Discord server you can email me uh, reply back and I'll, I'll send you an invitation if you're interested in that and I know it's not a great solution, um, but here's the other thing that I'll say is that too often we, especially trans people, make choices based on the well-being of everybody in our lives that isn't us. And the thing is, if your relationships are predicated on a false version of yourself, if they can only be maintained 
by you holding this loss of possibility close to your chest like if if the the people who love you only love you as uh what they think of as a man or whatever that's not acceptable because you're the only one who has to live with your con- the consequences of your actions the rest of your life other people they'll they'll feel ramifications sometimes but generally speaking they have their own shit to deal with what gender you are does not affect them from a day to day your dad can go jump a mountain into the sky the nerd and i genuinely believe that you need to take care of yourself first and your ability to find community to participate in relationships to find new friends who actually respect you partially does rely on your ability to internalize who you are, who you feel you are, and take the risk of being who you want to be for yourself. And that's hard and scary. And unfortunately, it will probably involve more people ghosting you and dropping out of your life. It's a, like I said, it's a distressingly common transgender narrative. Uh, people don't know how to navigate the complications of this. But what I will say is that because it's a, such a such a universal situation, there will be people who identify with that, and you can find community. It, it's like always. It's the trick is. How do you find those people? And there isn't an answer to that question, unfortunately. You just have to keep trying. Because, you know, friend groups don't put out advertisements, like looking for a new friend. Um, and, and yeah, like LGBT groups can be kind of clicky. But you just got to get, sometimes you just got to keep going. And eventually, maybe you'll find the one person there who's kind of like you and you're able to like, slip into their friend group it's a lot of trial and error and like finding friends and communities is like dating it sucks it's not fun it's unintuitive and most of it is you just throwing your best self at a brick wall until it charms somebody you hope but it's not impossible and honestly it's easier now than it was at any other time in history because of the internet uh there's also the fact that you're putting yourself out there to be harassed by mobs of online assholes but i mean that's the price we pay right oh jesus christ it's not it's not equal but it is what it is deal with the world as it is not as we wish it were were to be but i don't know i think the first thing that you have to do is take care of yourself and try try to get medicated uh, get on HRT and really a big part of transitioning for me has been working up the courage to stand up for myself because I actually have a self to stand up for and it is absolutely worth it when you're gendered correctly or when somebody refers to you by your chosen name uh, 
and you realize like, oh yeah, that's who I am and that feels right. And this maybe feels right for the first time in my entire life. It's absolutely worth it. So that's my advice, I guess. I think, I think, I think you can make it work. I think how you enjoy things for yourself, I don't know. Part of it is just not, there's an, it, part of it, it's impulse control on some, to some extent where you have a desire to uh, be like, oh, I like this music or, oh, I like this show or, oh, I'm a girl. And then you have an immediate knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, but how will this inconvenience or whatever with my friends? Like, oh, my friends don't like this show. I don't want to be the contrarian. I don't want them to not like me. I guess I don't like this show also. Part of it is just... Re- Part of it is just recognizing these impulses that you have, like the impulse to second guess your own desires and retrofit them to make them work for other people and stop that. Cut that off at the pass and say, no, I want to like this thing for me because I'm allowed and I deserve it. I'm a girl. It doesn't matter if it inconveniences other people. Fuck it. And as always, that's much easier said than done, but it is possible. And a lot of people have done it. And again, you can find communities and and people who have been through this situation before and will, I don't know. I wish I could just give you a hug because it sucks, but you can get through it. Honestly, here's what I'll say. However awkward it feels and however scared you are right now, the fact is that the feeling of euphoria you get when people finally start fucking respecting your pronouns and using your chosen name and treating you like the person that you are and you start doing things for yourself, it is 100% worth every bit of inconvenience that you cause other people. Because for the first time in your life, you give a shit about you and you are enjoying life for what it is. And that's what this is about. That's what this is for. This is about you taking control of your life for yourself. So yeah, Taylor, I mean, that's sort of my... That's sort of my feelings on it. I I hope that you're able to work up the courage to take control of your life, and you'll you'll have moments where you slide back. Progress in this isn't linear. Sometimes you'll fuck up, and and that's okay. Looks, I, I do that too. I'm in the middle of doing that right now. So just try not to be so hard on yourself, and you'll make it through. Okay. that about does it for this episode of the trans questioning podcast if you like this show why not leave a review and rating on itunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts it really does help get this show in the algorithm promoted sort of thing if you have questions thoughts comments stories etc send me an email at transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com or send an anonymous message at curiouscat.me slash transquestioning for podcast specific updates you can follow me at transq podcast on twitter and for my personal twitter go to at hms no fun. Transquestioning is a proud production of Lunar Art Studio Network, and you can support us in our quest to create diverse independent media at patreon.com slash lunarlighthq. Cover art is by Dear Witch. The intro and outro music is by Zoe Estra. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I will see you again next week when I uh, talk more. Maybe less. Who knows? Not I. 
because I won't record it for another week. <laughs> uh, bye, everybody. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay. Mm.